Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to see you guys. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. Those of you online, those of you here, if this is your first time, we are just so glad that you're here. My name is Scott, and I'm going to kind of update you on what we've been doing since the start of the year. We've been in a series called Priorities. And what we're talking about each week is something in our life that we can prioritize, some of the most important things in our life to really line us up with what we value in life. And the reason we're doing this is because we're trying to bring some balance back to our lives. We're trying to bring some peace back into our lives and really get to where God desires for us to be. Because if we don't prioritize, the world's going to try to prioritize for us, right? The world's going to try to send us in a certain direction. So the first week we looked at prioritizing our time. And then last week we talked about prioritizing humility. That if we can walk humbly every day, it's going to break the power of pride in our life. And really, if this is the only thing we can get accomplished in 2023 to, to walk humbly, I'm telling you, it's going to change everything. It's going to change your spiritual walk. It's going to change your relationships. It's going to fix a lot of the problems and difficulties that we face. So today I want to talk about how do we handle life when things don't go the way we want them to go. In other words, when life doesn't turn out the way that we expect it to turn out, which happens all the time, how do we handle that disappointment? You know, when things don't work out the way we want them to, often we're like, what do I do? You know, what's my next step? Where do I go from here? How do we handle that disappointment when life misses every one of our expectations? Because I firmly believe we have to have a plan to handle disappointment long before we ever get to disappointment. Because we know what's going to come. We know life isn't going to do what we want it to do. So how are we going to handle it when that time comes? We need to prepare for that on the front end. And so we're going to look at how we do that. And, and maybe, you know, you're here or you're watching and, and you've got stories of when life hasn't come out the way you expected it to come out. There was missed expectations in your life. I'm sure we all have stories like that. Maybe you graduated a year or two ago from college. Maybe you went to New River and, or, or you went to Tech or Radford or another university and you got a degree. You'd say, okay, I'm, I specialize in instrumentation now, or I'm a licensed electrician. Or maybe you'd say, I'm an engineer, or I'm a business major, yet you're still working the same job that you were working while you were trying to go through school, and you haven't been able to find a job that matches your degree or your skill set. And you would say, yeah, life hasn't turned out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I thought I was going to graduate, and immediately I'm going to have a job in my career field. Or maybe you're a real estate agent. And you look back and you're like, man, I sold more houses during the craziness of COVID than I've ever sold in my entire career. But now you're looking at the past eight months and because of what's happened with interest rates, you'd say, I've only sold one house. I don't know how much longer I can stay in this profession 
because your career hadn't turned out the way that you thought it would turn out. Or maybe you're older and wiser, but you're older. You have a lot more years of life under your belt, and you've reached the point where a lot of your friends are passing away or your loved ones are passing away. And you're left behind with just a pile of grief. And you're thinking, this isn't how life was supposed to be. Or you're the person that's worked your entire life looking forward to retirement. You've worked and you've saved, yet now because of inflation and because of the cost of things, retirement just seems like a pipe dream at this point. And you're disappointed because that's not what you expected. Or you're a mom and you're walking through your house one day and you see a picture of your daughter when she was seven years old, who's now 17. And you pick up that picture of when she was seven and you see just the happiness and the love and the joy in that kid's life. But then you quickly remember that's not how she is now at 17 years old. That she's angry, she's distant, she won't talk to you. And you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I fix my family Because that's not how you expected your family to turn out. We've all got stories like that. And if we don't have a plan to handle that disappointment that's going to come, we're going to send ourselves in a direction we don't want to go. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a story in the Old Testament of a group of people whose expectations weren't met and then how they responded to those expectations because they didn't really respond to them in a healthy way. And a lot of you will be familiar uh, with, with this story, but the background's pretty simple. It, it centers around one central character, a guy by the name of Moses. If you know anything about Moses, Moses was born a Hebrew, right? But then he was raised in an Egyptian family, two totally different things. And when we're picking this story up, Moses is about 80 years old, and he's living in the land of Midian with his father-in-law, Jethro, and he's tending to sheep. That's what he does every day. He's gotten away from uh, the Egyptian culture. He's no longer living uh, with that group of Hebrews he was. He is, he's in the land of Midian. And one day he's out you know, tending sheep, walking through the mountains, taking care of the animals, and he has an encounter with God. And God basically tells Moses, hey, I've chosen you for a very specific task. And you are going to lead my people, the Hebrews who are in Egypt as slaves, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now, Moses didn't apply for this job, right? He didn't go on Indeed.com and and create a profile and a real slick cover letter. He didn't want the job. God simply came to him and gave it to him. This is what you're going to do. So that's where we're picking this story up. The Hebrews, which that's what Moses is, is he's a Hebrew. They've been held as slaves for 400 years in Egypt, and God's finally going to rescue them from that slavery and take them to their own land. So we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 3 verses 7 through 10. And if you ever want to follow along with our notes, just simply download that Church Center app onto your phone. Uh, You can do a lot of things with the church and stay connected to the church with that. But here's what Exodus 3 says. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, talking to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Again, they've been there for 400 years. And finally, God's doing something about it. And he's going to use this guy, Moses, in a significant way to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into their own land. And and listen, if this was the only part of the story we read, or when you read through this, you think, well, that's going to happen pretty quickly. I mean, it's been 400 years, and now God's acting. This is going to happen pretty quickly. And they're excited about it. And I guarantee you that Moses thought it was going to be pretty quick, and the Israelites thought it was going to be pretty quick. But if you know the story, nothing about this process was quick. Think about it. Pharaoh, who's over all of Egypt, has, it's estimated, between a million and and two million people, the the Hebrew people, the Israelites, as slaves. It's not like he's just going to let them go right? They're doing all the labor. They're doing all the work for Egypt. And so when Moses approaches him, it's not like he's going, oh, God said that? Well, sure, go on, right? It's months and it's miracle after miracle, oppression against Pharaoh before he finally relents and lets the people go. And so they're walking, They're, they're leaving Egypt, they're through the Red Sea. So I guarantee you at that point, Moses leading them and the Israelites are thinking, okay, now it's going to be a quick journey. Listen, they knew, on a, uh, they knew what the distance was from Egypt to where they were going. And, you know, if you look at a map, it, back then, traveling by foot, that many people, it probably should have taken them about 30 days to get from Egypt to Canaan. It took them 40 years. And, and the old preacher joke is, well, that's because a man was leading them and he wouldn't stop and ask for directions, right? That's not why. That's not why. It's because God left them there in the wilderness, the desert, between Egypt and Canaan, because he had to prepare them. He had to prepare them for what they were going to face. He had to develop them into the nation of Israel. He had to get them to become all that God wanted them to become. But of course, because they're not in Canaan, the Israelites are disappointed. They never pictured that they would be there for 40 years, much less a year, right? All they could picture was what God said, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land without oppression, a land without opposition, a land where we are no longer slaves, we're free, a land that's ours that doesn't belong to somebody else. That's all they could picture, so their expectations weren't met. And they became incredibly disappointed, just like us. When our expectations aren't met, when life misses the mark in our mind, we become incredibly disappointed. And when we become disappointed, we become vulnerable. 
And that's why I say we have to have a plan ahead of time to handle that disappointment so we don't send our life in the wrong direction. And here's the first thing that happened to the Israelites and the first thing that can happen to us, and it's learning number one. When things don't go as we expect, we are very apt to complain. Any complainers watching or in the room? Right? No, we never complain about anything. But if we don't have a plan to handle disappointment, we're going to turn into a group of complainers. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. And I get it. Anytime you put a million to two million people together, guess what? There's going to be some issues, right? There's issues in your own family. Imagine a million to two million people all just wandering around in the wilderness. There's some real issues and personality conflicts. And life was not easy for them. And I guarantee you, when they're stuck out there in the wilderness, they're thinking, how are we going to take care of ourselves? They're still, you know, they're ingrained in Egyptian idol worship, right? They're just learning who God is and what God is going to do for them. So I guarantee you, they're trying to figure out all of these things. How are we going to protect ourselves? How are we going to survive? But you know, one of their big issues was what are we going to eat? And if you know the story of the Israelites, God provided food for them every day. And it was called manna. And, and great theologians have tried to describe to us what manna was or what it was like. We don't know. As a matter of fact, the Israelites didn't know. That's why they called it manna. The Hebrew word manna, you know what it means? What is it? That's what it means. It really does. What is it? That's the same question we should have been asking in elementary school when they serve mystery meat. You remember that? Mystery meat. And we just ate it. We didn't know what it was, but we ate it. That's what manna was to the Israelites. But it's so cool. It's a miracle from God. Every morning they get up and they go out and they collect enough for the day and it sustained them. But the problem is they never got a break from it. For breakfast, they had manna. For lunch, they had manna. For dinner, they had manna. Guess what they had the next day? Manna. They never got a break from it. So naturally, what did they do? They started to complain. Let's look at that. Numbers 11, four through six. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Now, it'd be real easy for us to become highly critical now of the Israelites. Are they, do they not realize what God's doing? You know, we're so far removed in reading the story. We're like, they're free. They're no longer slaves. God's given them food every single day, and they don't have to do anything but go and gather it. It'd be really easy for us to judge them, but before we do that, we got to go back and remember their expectations aren't being met. How they thought life was going to turn out and how quick they thought they were going to get to the promised land didn't go as they expected, so they're disappointed. And what you don't really read into these, 
uh, this part of the story is that they are about two years into the journey now when they start complaining about manna. Uh, You know, their expectations have been met, and now for almost two years they've been eating the, the same thing. We would have been the same way. We would have complained sooner, I can assure you, than the Israelites did. Given the right set of conditions and the right circumstances, we will complain about anything. We're subject to the same temptations and sins that they were. So they're not getting a break from the manna. And listen, I love hot dogs with chili, mustard, and onions more than my kids most of the time, right? But if I ate hot dogs with chili, mustard, and onions for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two years, I think I'd get tired of it. So we can kind of understand why they're complaining, right? We can kind of sympathize with them, but it's also very dangerous. Because what the Israelites really are doing is they're walking a fine line. They're not just complaining about their conditions or their food. They're complaining against God. What they were saying is, we were better off in Egypt as slaves. We were better off before you started intervening in our life. And I think that's got to serve really as a great reminder to us when life doesn't go the way we had planned, it doesn't meet our expectations, we got to prioritize how we're going to handle that disappointment so we're not complaining against God. Yes, we need to expect things aren't always going to go our way in life. We need to expect that on the front end. And then when things don't go our way, we got to protect our heart so that we don't unleash on God like the Israelites did. But we do that, don't we? God, you know, I I don't need you. What difference are you making in my life? You won't answer me. You haven't opened this door for me. I'm sick and tired of this, God. You can almost hear our voices in there. I'm sick and tired, God, of living with my parents trying to save enough money to get a place on my own. I'm tired of waiting for this depression to lift. I'm sick of people asking me what I do for a living, and then I I fumble over an answer. I'm tired of being a Washington Commanders fan. (laughs) Year after year, and they never make it to the playoffs. I'm sick of visiting my mom in the nursing home, and every time I go, she asks me who I am. I'm tired of working on this marriage knowing that my wife doesn't even care and doesn't want to be in this relationship. It's okay for us to be frustrated of our situation or our circumstances, but we have to be careful of the way we manage those or it puts us in a bad place when it comes to our faith. And it doesn't just put us in a bad place when it comes to our faith, but it has the potential to put other people in our life in a bad place when it comes to their faith, right? One of the marks of spiritual maturity And that we're growing in crisis that we can handle the difficult times in life without making everybody around us suffer and without making everybody around us feel that. So as we continue to read, because of those expectations, here's something else we got to guard against. Learning number two, when things don't go as we expect, we are vulnerable to emotional breakdown, right? If you're in a hole, if you're in a rut, in life long enough, you're, you're prime for life to overwhelm you, 
and to have this emotional breakdown. And that's exactly what happened to the leader of the Israelites, Moses. Numbers chapter 11, verse 11 through 14. This is an incredibly honest conversation that Moses is having with God. Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother? Carry them all the way to the land you promised to their ancestors. Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me, give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much. All of these people. Listen, when, when we're going through a, a long season in our life and it, thing, it seems like things aren't moving forward, we're kind of like the Israelites, we're stuck in the wilderness and we're disappointed. It, it sets us up for an emotional breakdown. And that's exactly what happened to Moses. Look at Numbers eleven fifteen. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Moses is like, I can't do this anymore. I, I love the imagery he used in the verse we looked at before. I'm not their mama, right? I didn't give birth to all these people. He's having a breakdown. It's too heavy of a burden. It's too much disappointment, one after the other, too many problems, too many difficulties. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. And I thought about that this week as you, as you read Moses' words 3,000 plus years ago. Can you not hear your own words in Moses' words? Can we not hear the voice of a young couple that's gone through medical test after medical test after medical test, and one of them saying, I can't do this anymore. It's too much for me. Or you hear the, the, the voice of parents who are trying to love God and trying to serve God and trying to push their kids in a right direction, and their kids are rebelling against them, and the kids are rebelling uh, against God, and they're like, this is overwhelming. We're at our breaking point. We can't do this anymore. Or you hear the voice of the single parent who's working two jobs to make ends meet. They already feel terrible that they don't spend enough time with their kid, saying, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this anymore. My guess is we, we are prepared today to handle a day or two of disappointment. We can handle that without a plan to prioritize disappointment, right? But months of disappointment, years of disappointment like the Israelites, none of us are prepared for that. And we're not alone. You read through the scripture, a lot more people other than Moses got to this point. Elijah, I think Jeremiah, um, Job. Hey, I, God, I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't do this anymore. And honestly, that's where a lot of us are today. That's where a lot of you are right now. So what does God do? Numbers 11, 16 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who were recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. 
Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. So hopefully, you're kind of beginning to see this picture. He's having an emotional breakdown. He can't go any further, and at one of the lowest points of Moses' life, what does God do? He provides help for him. He provides for him. And isn't that what God does? He provides. God loves to provide. And I don't know what he's going to provide for me or what he's going to provide for you, but he's going to provide for you. Maybe he's going to give you different employment. Maybe he's going to give you a, a different job. Or he's going to provide you contentment with where you're at in life. Maybe he's going to provide you an extra measure of patience or the employee that you need or the help you need. Maybe he's going to provide you an unexpected email or an unexpected phone call. I don't know, but God provides. And that's the very first thing we need to put on our priority list, how we're going to prioritize disappointment. I'm going to remember God provides. This is going to be simple. We're preparing for disappointment before it hits our life. And the first thing we're going to remember, God provides. He's going to provide for us just like he did for Moses. So Moses is kind of okay now. But then if we switch back over to the Israelites, what are they doing? They're still whining and complaining. They want meat to eat. They want the good old days of Egypt. They want what they had in Egypt. And so here's what happens next. Learning number three, what we got got to guard against. When things don't go as we expect, when we don't handle the disappointment, we are subject to God's discipline. This is not the fun part. I mean, we all love the idea that God is kind and God is gracious and God is forgiving. He's full of mercy. He's full of patience. And that's true. He is. But he's also a God of discipline. And sometimes, in order to change our heart, he has to discipline us. And sometimes that discipline looks like this. Scott sins. God forgives Scott's sin, but God says Scott has to go through the consequences of his sin. He's going to have to deal with the ramifications of what he's done. That's sometimes how he disciplines us. But then sometimes, in the case that we're going to see, he takes it a step further. And he positions us in such a way that we have to experience some pain in order to change our heart, to get us to switch direction. So let's listen in to what he says to Moses, Numbers eleven eighteen through 20. And say to the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried, oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have, uh, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be just for a day or two, or five or ten, or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month, 
until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? God knew a good talking to wasn't going to do these people any good. They were going to have to go through some discomfort for God to teach them. And a lot of times that's us. I mean, we love it when somebody needs correction and deserves correction and they get that correction, right? Unless it's us. We don't like it then. The children of God, the Israelites, God being their parent, is going to give them what they need. He's going to get them to where he needs them to be. Same thing we do as parents. We give our kids what they need, not necessarily what they want. And so God says to Moses, you tell the people, oh, they're going to eat meat. All right. They're going to eat so much meat, it's going to make them sick. And if you read the response that Moses gives back to God, Moses has got a lot of guts. I'll tell you what he says back to God. It's almost flippant in his answer. He's like, God, you know, if we, if we killed all these animals that we have, and if we caught all the fish in the sea, that's still not going to be enough meat. Listen to what God says, Numbers eleven twenty three. 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Same question Tom Brady's asking right now. Too soon? Sorry. Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. For some of you, that's exactly what you need to hear today. God has not lost his power. So that's something we ought to put on our list of how we're going to handle disappointment. God's going to provide. God's got the power. Pretty simple, right? He is able. There's no reason, no matter what we're going through, no matter how much life has missed our expectations, there is no reason at all to question God's goodness or to question God's competence. He's able. And then the final thing we're going to remember is we got to trust God. The whole 40 years they're wandering around was simply to get God, uh, to get the Israelites to trust God. He wanted them to trust him. So God's going to provide. He's got the power and I got to trust him. That's pretty simple. If we can remember that, we will be able to prioritize disappointment before it ever reaches our life. God was simply trying to prepare the Israelites for what they were going to face. It's not like they're going to march into fortified cities, which were in Canaan, fortified cities with people with weapons and lots of people. It's not like they're going to march in and say, hey, just so you guys know, God said this is our land. Oh, well, let us call the pod company and move, right? No, they're not going anywhere. So God's preparing them for what they're getting ready to face. And that's what he's doing a lot of times when you and I are just feel like we're wandering around and going in circles. God's preparing us, but he wants us to trust him. So instead of complaining, instead of those missed expectations, letting us 
lead us right to an emotional breakdown. Instead of having to suffer God's discipline and sometimes pain, we need to remember God's going to provide. He's got the power. We got to trust him. Let's pray together. God, you know we get disappointed so easily in life. Help us the next time we're disappointed to not whine and complain, but to remember you're going to provide. You always do. You always have. You're going to provide. You got the power to trust you on a whole nother level, to know that you truly have our best interest at heart, just like you had the best interest at heart of the Israelites. Somebody who doesn't know you could read that story and think, man, you are mean. You don't care about your people. You're simply getting them to trust you because you knew exactly what they were going to face. Help us to do the same. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Couple real quick things. Today, right after this service at 1145 in the auditorium, we're having our Blue Ridge Church 101 class. If you signed up for that, you know, just be back in here by 1145. Even if you didn't sign up and you want to participate in that, we'll have plenty of food, childcare. Uh, you are more than welcome to stay. That's just a, a, a chance for people to get to know more about the church and why we do some of the things we do, what our style is, our structure is. This week on Wednesday, starting at seven o'clock, the middle and high schoolers uh, youth program starts back. So if you have a kid in that age group and you really want to get rid of them for an hour and a half, bring them to church that Wednesday. They have a great time. It's a, it's a great group. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then today is the first day to sign up to lead a winter group. You know, we offer groups here at the church, uh, small groups, growth groups, whatever you want to call them, but we offer them three times a year. And you can lead a group. Some of them are Bible study groups. Some of them are driven by a book or a DVD. Others are just fun groups. They're activity groups, you know, hiking groups and golfing groups and hunting and fishing groups and exercise groups. Uh, And then we have mission groups. But if God's laid on your heart that you really want to lead some type of group that you're passionate about, don't feel like you don't have the skill set to do that. Listen, if you can communicate with people through email and encourage people when you see them, you would make a great group leader. So you can sign up to do that through that church center app or through the connection card. And and make sure you fill out those connection cards and and download that app because you can really stay in contact uh, with the church. If you came prepared today to worship through generosity, you can do that online through that app as well or through the black boxes at the back. We obviously appreciate everything you do to make this place possible. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. If you're watching football, I hope you have a great time. Invite a friend and come back and see us next week. God bless you guys.